Hello, and welcome to the New Schools Podcast. Aaron Eden's mission is to rehumanize how we work, learn, live, and lead. Aaron is the executive director at the Institute for Applied Tinkering. This is the organization behind Brightworks in San Francisco, which is consistently named one of the most innovative schools in the world. The Institute is also responsible for the Tinkering School, offering in-person and online camps for young people, which are all about projects that are hands-on. The Institute is also responsible for the Tinkering School, offering in-person and online camps for young people, which are all about projects that are hands-on. Aaron is a founding partner at the Eliad Group, a transformation design firm where he works with schools and businesses around the world to shift from command and control to co-creation as the basis for purposeful, innovative endeavor. Today, the discussion ranges from the meaning of adult power to advice to frustrated parents, including how to reconnect with your why to helping learners without interfering in their natural process, and more. We hope you enjoy the show, and now here's your host, Shannon Falkenstein and Aaron Eden. Well, I just want to jump right in here. Like you said, um, when you were talking to Blake Bowles, you said about how so many schools try, they're like, mindfulness, makerspace, you know, yoga, whatever. And then, um, you know, social emotional learning, child centered, and then you go in and it's like the same thing as always, but dressed up in new clothes. And I want to change my tone because I know that, um, you know, it's hard. Like adults are just larger kids. Like adults are just struggling with the same things that everyone else is. And And I think the intention of parents certainly and all adults is like, we, I think there's a fear, you know, there's a fear. Am I preparing my child? Are they going to be okay when I'm gone? Are they going to be able to take care of themselves? Are they, you know, there's this, now there's the wealth inequality. Like, is my kid going to fall into the bottom part? So I need to do everything I can to make sure that my child is prepared for the future because that's my job as a parent. And then therefore, that's my job as an educator because the parents are like the clients, right? So I want to really, and I love your focus on mindfulness. So I really want to like soften and go Mm -hmm. in and like look in the heart of that matter of like, how do I as a parent recognize that fear and then not let it make me get hyper controlling and, and on my child, you know, like how do you open a parent up and allow them to feel, I love Blake Bowles. Like he's so relieving when you read his books that parents take a huge sigh of like, okay, I can Mm -hmm. do this, you know? So I want to kind of get really in there and talk about that Mm -hmm. experience that parents have and how to help them transform that. Yeah, I think, um, first of all, I, you know, it's great, you know, your, your kind of thing of like, I wanna soften, right? Because like, 
sometimes I'm just like straight up like, hey, everybody, you're destroying children. Like we are, we're just destroying, and not only that, humanity. Like yeah. we're destroying humanity. <laughs> and it's just like, it's hard to like, where do you go from that? It's like, you're going to shut like half the people down and then the other half are just going to be like, ah. Um, you know, so, um, you know, so the, the hyperbole has a place. I th- think it is important actually. So like at conferences, I'm like, you all, each one of us, we're destroying kids. <laughs> like well, you need to know that. Um, but it really is important to recognize that, um, you know, every behavior comes from a legitimate human need at some level. And that's true of the worst behaviors. They're just totally pathologized and projected onto other things, but they come from a place of, I need to be loved. I need to, you know, know that my, my family, the people I love are safe and are going to be, you know, like those things you're speaking of are really important. And for the most part, um, you know, we've been conditioned to believe that there are certain things that make us successful and keep us safe, right? We've just been conditioned. It's not our fault. We all grew up in it. Um, You know, people that grow up in Muslim families and communities grow up to be Muslim. People that grow up in Christian, like grow up, like we grow up into the mindsets that we were brought up in, right? It just so happens that all of the mindsets of every religion and community around the world pretty much shares the idea that the job of adults is to teach kids how to obey authority. (laughs) We all share that. Um, And that's a whole nother conversation of sort of human evolution over the last couple hundred thousand years and how we got there. Cause we didn't, that's about 10,000 years old, but it is a thing. And, you know, even for parents of currently of non-dominant cultures, like if you're a black family in the United States, you still have a compelling reason, really good reason to train your kids to, to obey authority without question because they might get shot, right. right? So that's actually an existential issue. No, you will learn to obey me as your parent <laughs> because if you do that, then I know you're going to be safe out there when authority comes at you, right? Yeah. Um, and that was probably true in the Middle Ages when we were serfs. And if we angered the, you know, the castle owner, we got our head lopped off. Like there were compelling reasons in very like hierarchical societies to learn your place and to hold it and not challenge it. And, and so, and a lot of teachers actually believe as their first priority, I have to break these kids down and get them to obey me both for my job security and for that's actually what makes you successful. It's an outdated idea of what success is, but in a lot of cases, they're doing it out of like the goodness of their hearts. Right. Um, I only hurt you because I love you. Right. And so for parents, when we think, well, you know, we've been taught to equate successes at math as equivalent to smart right? We've been taught to believe that smart is equivalent to success. And so we put all of that pressure on what we want for our kids on that math worksheet in front of us at the table while we're basically emotionally abusing our child into finishing it, right? Again, because I love you, I want you to be successful. But so the process that I do with parents is to to help us reconnect with our why 
And, you know, I probably said this in, in the talk with Blake, I'd say it everywhere, which is that, you know, I think our why for all of our kids is we want them to have choice in their lives, right? We want them to be able to have, to have the resources personally and psychologically and financially and all these things to be able to make the choices they want to make. Um, and we don't want them reliant on us for like food and, you know, <laughs> like housing, yeah. right? We want them to be self-sustaining, you know, for them and us. And we, the problem is that we, we do what I call idol worshiping, which is that we put, we equate that success with things like math worksheets and, you know, obeying authority and all these things that actually don't equate to that. And quite, you know, really equate to the opposite of that. When we really think about it, learning to hate learning because I was abused in, you know, in math class into thinking I'm dumb or whatever, or just I learned really well to jump through other people's hoops is not equate to success anymore. If you talk to people that are hiring around the world, I think it was HBR just did an article about be careful hiring top students from top universities because they don't play well with others. Right. And, and you're going to get a little bit higher individual productivity out of them, but it's going to cause workplace turmoil. And your teams aren't going to function very well. So be careful. Um, Google did a massive study that high grade point average inversely correlates to creativity. Why? Because all we, we turned over our internal like guideposts and ways of seeing things in service of just regurgitating what other people wanted from us. And so, yeah, we can follow instructions really well, but we're not really good at seeing things that weren't pointed out to us before. Um, so that's the conversation that I usually, you know, have. Look, there is still a, a percentage or a chunk of human, um, you know, adults, probably roughly broken down to conservative and kind of, you know, more liberal political stances, that believe that obeying authority under threat of punishment is actually like a great outcome. Right. Yeah. So like, I don't know how to, you know, necessarily change those people's minds. Right. Most of the people that I work with, you know, when I do my kind of spiel of we're destroying humanity go, Oh my gosh. Yes. Right. Like I can see it. I'm so authoritarian. Like I'm not, I hate my relationship with my kids. I'm constantly bossing them around. I do see that math worksheets aren't going to make them successful. Like, what do I do? And then it's like, okay, like deep breath, right? Like, first of all, here's why all those things that you think equate to success don't. Mm -hmm. Here's some things we can try to do to re-establish a way of interacting with our loved ones and our kids that we will actually have a different feel in ourselves and we will see a different way of relating with us and with the world and our kids, usually pretty quickly, and we'll know we're on the right path. Nice. Um, and so that's, you know, then it's like, okay, great. Like, you know, what I talked about with Blake also was that Many of us who make that decision that we don't want to be authoritarian anymore move to permissiveness. Right. Yeah, you like swing to the other. Swing to the other. And that's still about adult uh, control and power, I think. Because Tell us a little bit more about, about why you define that as still being sure. about adult power. Yeah, you bet. Um, so basically, 
it's still about my rules. So in one end of the spectrum, it's my rules followed. And on the other end of the spectrum, it's my rules not followed. In neither case is it, hey, what should our rules be? Right. And one of the biggest damaging aspects of the permissive angle is not that we're letting kids do whatever they want. I believe every human being should be allowed to do whatever it is they're choosing to do as long as it's not hurting somebody else or them in the very short term. Um, but what it is is that we abdicate our own need. And that is an incredibly damaging and destructive thing to model to a human being that's learning how to be in the world. And so what I argue for is let's get off of that adult power axis and move to an equity-based co-creative axis, which is what are both of our needs right here? And how do we get clear on what those are and how do we deal with when they don't align? Those are the skills. If you talk to people that hire around the world, like that's what they want people to be able to do. <laughs> get right. together with another person and go, what's our goal? What's our shared vision? How do we think we're going to get there together? How do we iterate to like adapting to that reality as we, as we move towards that goal? How do we determine if halfway through our goal needs to change? How do we communicate that with each other? How do we be creative in our solutions and all of those things? Um, and simply that act, I actually do a, a workshop now, um, called um, Screen Time and Chores as Curriculum. Because even just in taking how we normally approach those two things, uh -huh. and rethinking it around equity of need and not assuming that we're right just because we're bigger and older, um, that we can totally transform how we relate with our kids and understand how to build shared vision and move towards it just through screen time and chores. Wow. And, and it's incredibly transformative and often very, very quickly with kids. Oftentimes what, what I will talk about with parents, right, who are considering the Acton model is I will talk to them about how, you know, it, it used to be that we were training kids to go work in factories, so they all needed to be the same. But now, if you're all doing the same, you know, if we're all trained to do the same thing, and it's that easy to train everyone to do it, it's going to be taken over by machines. So you really mm -hmm. need to be differentiating yourself in deeply human characteristics, like creativity, the collaboration, the critical thinking, and um, curiosity. And so I love what you said again and then giving that evidence of like you know hbr and google because people listen you know parents listen when you say those kind of names because they're really looking for that signal that this is going to mm -hmm. make my child be safe and successful right um yeah. so i love that that you're reiterating that like the game has changed and these deeply human skills are what's necessary and in order to get the most out of humans you have to treat them really humanely, right? <laughs> because otherwise they shut down the amygdala fires and they have trauma or they break relationships. They don't know how to treat people. And then suddenly they are not going to be successful as they go out into this new work environment. So I think that does really help parents to have like a concrete, like quantifiable reason to do this because I feel like so many need that evidence in order to make the change. So thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, I do get in a little bit of trouble for that in the like, you know, 
purist humanists where it's yeah. like it shouldn't, it shouldn't have to be about like they're going to get a better job. But I agree with you. I think that it is because to a certain extent, you know, we are willing to traumatize our kids a little bit if it means that they're going to be more successful later, right? <laughs> like, right. <laughs> um, and, um, and so, you know, and not that we should, and we, we very much shouldn't. And I think that's part of the reason why it can be like, oh, if we put it on that goal, then we start to look at things like teachers often do, which is that I'm going to have like empathy class. And if you show up late, I'm going to punish you, right? Like, I mean, we almost literally see that kind of thing in education. And when we do connect it with, well, I want you to get a good job, and we're so kind of that goal oriented, it, we, it can subvert our efforts with the relationship with our kids that will actually get them there. I mean, it's kind of like a, a Zen koan in a way, or like sting, right? Like, you know, if you love somebody, set them free. You actually have to let go of that goal. Otherwise, we start using techniques that sacrifice relationship in the moment that subvert the goal. And it's a super hard thing. But the initial conversations, it can really get people's attention to be like, wait, I thought like saying yes, teacher and turning all my homework in was like the thing that got you there. And it's like, no, 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 that stopped 30 years ago, like at the latest. <laughs> it's actually this other stuff. And here's a couple data points to help you realize that. Um, so I agree. And I do it a lot in, in a lot of the like hardcore, you know, alternative educator humanists kind of chide me about it. But but I, I do think it is important to to connect it to people's reasons for why, yeah. And I like the model like that I've heard in other, you know, in, in wellness and stuff. It's like, you know, instead of going for perfection, you go for harm reduction, right? And so every step forward that people can take in improving their relationships, then they have to go through those steps to get to the where they're going, you know? And so if the first one is just realizing that, oh, there's another way of doing this and it's still going to be okay yeah. if I do it this way, you know, then it takes them a little bit closer. So, you know, um, you can get some people to move camps with that argument is basically what I see, right? You can chip away a little bit. Like there's a, there's an edge to the group that thinks that obeying adults under threat of punishment, like is the goal, right? But then some of them are like, well, only because I think that's like actually going to serve them later. I actually don't really love it. But like, those people be like, oh, thank you. Like I, you know, I thought I had to like abuse them to get them there. But if, if I don't, that's great. Now let's talk about how do we build those relationships. So I think it can help with that shift a little bit. Nice. Yeah, it's something that's helped helped me that I learned recently was the model of power, like understanding there's like power over and then there's power with. Yeah. And so really always trying to go for that power with. Um, a woman, oh, you'll love, maybe you've seen this. I don't know, but this, we had a, a, a wonderful trainer that worked for whole child international who trained our guides at our school. And she did this beautiful, beautiful, um, simulation or activity. And basically you would take be you and a partner and, um, I want everyone to go and do this. It's so cool. So you take you and a partner and one person washes the other one's hand. So like I would be washing your hands and I would take your left hand and I would time for one minute and I would just 
grab your hand and wash it like super task oriented, you know, not even look you in the eye and not ask your permission, but just like get that hand all scrubbed up. <laughs> and then when the timer's off, goes off at one minute. Okay. Then I switch to the other hand and then I like, don't grab your hand. I look you in the eye and say, Hey, Erin, mm. may I wash your hand? And you give her consent, right? And then I look you in the eye, and as I'm washing your hand, I'm asking, like, is the water fine? How was your day today? You know, and it's still just one minute. And then pat your hand dry, then it's over, right? And then we ask, like, notice how your hands feel. And your hands will feel distinctly different, right? And then mm. looking at how much time did each one of those tasks take? They both took the same amount of time. So like treating children or anyone with that kind of engagement and respect takes the same exact amount of time, but you're gonna get so much more out of it in the end because your relationship stays intact. You already have this connection, they trust you. And from there you can like move on to, you know, what problem are we solving today or what are we creating today? That yeah. was perhaps the most valuable training activity mm. that we have ever done. And so then mm -hmm. we did it with all the parents we did it with the kids. Like we do it every year because it's just so powerful. And really I think speaks to exactly what you're talking about. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It's how you're doing it. it, it it's absolutely the case. And, um, for this, for, for that kind of relating to quote unquote work, Right, which is, you know, and by that I mean like, hey, when I ask my kids to do stuff, they will often do it without, you know, complaining or fighting or whining. Um, or when they, um, you know, or just, you know, we just feel better in our relating. And, and, you know, so part of it's about what's happening, what kids are doing, and how we're relating. But um, to get it to work, you have to have consistency in the relating, right? And so an example I'll often use is if you're a homeschooling parent, right? Who's actually like schooling, not unschooling, you know, but right. um, you can't be kind of, a, um, you know, or even if you are unschooling, like you, you can't be an authoritarian parent and a kind of co-creative equity-based teacher or vice versa, because the relationship transcends the, the context. Um, and you can't, you know, have um, people say, well, you know, I tried talking to them this way and it didn't work. I'm like, well, you know, they might be paying you back for like stuff from three years ago. Right. And often um, an unwillingness to cooperate. If a human being doesn't want to help me meet my needs, it means that they feel that I have not been helping them try to meet their needs. And if I ask somebody to help me meet one of my needs, like I want a cleaner house. Let's take chores, you know, like, could you do dishes once a week? Um, if I'm, con if I'm never caring about what they need, they're going to resist that no matter what, because a healthy human being has to, we're programmed to resist unfairness in social settings, right? Like human beings would not have survived without fairness. So we're programmed to like punish if the people we're in relationship with aren't fair. And so a lot of kid misbehavior or resistance is actually us getting punished for being bad humans. And so you, how does one um, repair something like that? Um, 
that's, you know, the key question. And, and actually, um, you know, I, I think in, um, I, I remember bringing that up in the conversation with, with Blake as well. Um, the first step is just acknowledging that it has not been fair. And we can do that either in conversation with the other person we're in relationship with, or if they're too young, we, we make the statement with our actions. So we basically back off from the being unfair, which I would include um, assuming that my need is more valuable than yours by default. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sometimes it is more valuable or like to right. all of us or to me or whatever, but just to assume it by default because of whatever reason is the definition of like non-equity, right? Um, so we can, so we have to start by acknowledging to ourselves and the other person that I have not been fair. And then the next step is to practice fairness, often backing off from all of the pushing we've been doing and just spend some time. So, um, Akilah Richards and others would talk about this as like, you know, a de-schooling process. Um, or even a decolonialization process, right? Like right. This, this idea that somebody has the right to just direct another human being all the time is uniquely not human. Human beings do not like it. You either have to apply so much of that pressure that there's no chance of like not doing it, right? Which a lot of households would do. Like, don't do your chores, <laughs> hand me the switch. Like, right. like, I mean, that's how it used to be, right? Like you just do it. And so we just applied enough threat to back up the coercion that it just got done. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, kids went to therapy later. And now we're kind of in this hybrid place where we're like wanting them to do it using little bits of coercion, but we're not going far enough to make coercion work really well. So we're fighting Mm -hmm. with our kids all the time. Right. There, There used to not be fighting because there was just, there was no option for fighting. We would end it. We have more power. We're bigger, you know, done. Um, and so, um, so that's how you begin to, to my mind, you simply acknowledge it. Um, you say, I want to recognize that I've been imposing my idea of what our house should look like and be like, because I thought that that's just how it was supposed to be. And Mm -hmm. I want to recognize that I'm not going to give up that that's how I like it. But I want to recognize that you might not have exactly the same ideas of when and how dishes should be done or the state of the living room or whatever it might be. Um, And so I wonder if we could just get a sense of what each of us really wants in our environment. So I would take it as a co-creative challenge, co-creative visioning. What do we all want our house to look like? What do you really value in terms of our house, how it's set up? uh, Well, usually the kids will say, well, I like lots of yummy food to be available at all times. <laughs> Great, me too. Awesome. Um, and, um, and I try to do that, right? Like that chore's kind of on, would we agree that that chore has been up to me so far? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, you're the one that does that. Okay, yeah. Ah. Um, and like, what else do you like? And well, I really like it when, you know, whatever. Um, and, um, and then we might say, well, look, here's some things that we really, like, like if the living room's dirty right next to my kitchen table office, and it's scattered and stuff is everywhere. It kind of makes me anxious. Like I really, it, when it's a little neater, like I just feel more calm in my work. And so that's kind of important to me. And I don't get the sense that's necessarily important to everyone else, which is cool. But I just want to make it clear, like that's one on my list. And then you get them and you'll find that a lot of them are the same. And then there are others that are different. 
And then we might say, look, can we agree that none of us has the right to force the other one to do things that make the house the way the other person wants it? Like, that's not cool. That's not fair, right? I'll constantly be using with, you know, verbal kids. Is that fair? Does that make sense? Usually we have a similar idea of what fair is. Um, and then, so basically, acknowledge, back off. And then when you feel like there's been enough of your overture of mm-hmm. like equity, signal equity with our language, right? Like it's not time to don't do that. Like these are all, I'm in charge. I know what's right. You're doing it wrong. Right. Versus like, Hey, I wonder if it's time to, or, Oh, you know, when you do that, this is how that affects me. And I wonder if, right. Um, so signal equity for a while until you feel like they hate you a little less, <laughs> right? Or whatever. You know, they're like, like a little, their trauma has seeded a little bit. And then you might be ready to have that conversation of like, Hey, you might've noticed that I haven't asked you to do a chore in two weeks. I, that this is why, because I acknowledge this. I wonder if we could have a conversation about you might have also noticed I haven't been buying all those snacks you like for the last two weeks. <laughs> right? like, um, and I wonder if we could have a conversation about what, how we want. And so basically you start this pattern of kind of co-creative problem solving. And then you start down a path of, but if you're doing that and then also saying, do your homework or you're grounded, good luck. That conversation is not going to go very yeah. well. Yeah. Right. So, so um, consistency. So let's say you're a parent who who loves this and you're doing a decent job and you're really good intentions to be like that. And then, you know, you wake up in the morning and you have to send them off to an environment that is distinctly authoritarian or what do you, you know, how can parents deal with that? You know, like I, our podcast is really aimed at parents who do feel frustrated with the current system who are like looking for something else that they maybe don't know what to do or they're afraid to do something radically different what would be your advice to those parents um similar to the first thing which is to acknowledge right and and so my kids who my twin 16 year old boys who i tried to convince to not go to high the local public high school because I think it's a waste of time, um, but they decided to go. Um, so we talk about like, what's it like there? How do you, you know, interact with the adults and you know, all of that? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? Um, so we just acknowledge that it's different. Like, hey, how's school different than home for you? Right, it just as a conversation. Um, so the, impor- the, the most important thing is that we are consistent in our relating with our kids. Most of us in our lives will have some spaces we're in that are not as human as we would like them to be. And so, in fact, having them be in some of those spaces, you know, might not be a bad thing because they're getting some experience with it. And so we can just help them be critical of what those spaces are like compared to home, if home life is maybe more equity-based, help them think through ways to deal with it. So we're helping them build some strategies for dealing about being in a world that's authoritarian and cruel or, you know, whatever it is, um, because that can be helpful. I mean, if the school's terrible, like take them out <laughs> and find another one. But if it's, you know, just normal conventional school, I just really, and again, if they're super young, it's kind of hard to have the conversations about it. 
although you can a little bit, but just, just inquiring, like, how is it there for you? You know, oh, tell me about that thing that you're trying to tell me about that made mm-hmm. you feel whatever. Um, and just buffer it. We're like, um, you know, a little bit of a vaccine in a way or in, an inoculation against that, the disease of, um, am I still soft or is that harder language? <laughs> right? The disease of school. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we, can, we can buffer against it by helping, um, you know, be a safe place from which to think about that space and from which to go to it and interact with it and then come back from. Um, that's what I would suggest. And, you know, there's the similar issue of what about when the two parents don't align? I was just going to ask you about that. Right. Yeah. What do you do then? Yeah. I mean, it's, that's, all, that's harder than having a home that's one way and say school that's another. It's hard when home is two ways. Um, you know, it, if we can be true to the way we want to relate with our kids, at least least and have that consistent relationship with them. If the other parent has a different way of relating that's very different, that can lead to a lot of conflict between the parents. Um, A lot of conflict, including because part of my role as being a safe, equitable space for the kids might be to talk about like, wow, yeah, tell me about (laughs) the trouble you're having in your relationship with, you know, my spouse, um, because that sounds rough. And, you know, I don't like, and, and be super frank, like, I want you to know this is hard because I don't want to take sides against, you know, but, but I hear you and I wonder how you think you might be able to, or we as a family might be able to deal with that. Um, but that's, that's a real, real, real issue. And when, when, you know, usually what we'll see is the like hardcore, you know, conventional parent, um, will see the change, right, in the kids and in, in the way that they're relating with, you know, adults and the other spouse. And if, you know, usually we'll go, oh, maybe there's something to this. And then they will begin um, trying to think about how to support that shift. Um, however, other times they might take it as a threat to their authority and, and, and it could, and it can be worse. Um, so that's the, that's, I think the toughest one. Yeah, that is, that's really tough. Thank you. Um, what would you say are, what would be like the top things that a parent should look for in a school if they want a school that is more egalitarian and a little bit more democratic, a little bit more human? Yeah. Um, Two things. One is, what is their bathroom policy? Oh, good one. And how do they handle it when a kid doesn't want to participate in the thing that is being offered? That's it. Doesn't okay. matter to my mind if they have a makerspace or mindfulness or SEL or project based learning. I mean, those are great things. But if their bathroom policy is you have to ask another human being whether basically the teacher imposing what they want it to be for their own needs and no co-created like, you know, conversation about what are the needs involved here and how do we set up a system that meets everybody's needs. And it's just, you go when I allow you to Mm -hmm. um, walk away. 
Nice. Because that means that every other place there's the opportunity for an adult to impose their will, um, it's okay to do it. Um, and, and that would include in, well, I don't really feel today like participating in that class, I wanna do something else. If it's, well, then you're gonna get a bad grade or then you don't get this privilege or whatever it might be, walk away. What if one of the thing, one of the dilemmas that we've had at our school is we've had students sometimes kind of lose their their desire to participate in something, but then they want to sit and just like watch YouTube videos about like Marvel comics or something, mm -hmm. but for months. And then the parents are like, what is my child doing at our school? Nothing. They're learning nothing, you know, and they start panicking and we're like, well, we don't <laughs> want to force them to, you know, we won't force them. So yeah. you guys can talk about it like at home, but we're not yeah. going to force them. But then there is sort of this addictive aspect to watching YouTube videos that is maybe not the best thing for that child. So what, like, what would you do in that situation? Yeah, um, I do have, I think we have um, Bria Bloom, if you don't know her, um, she's the executive director now of the um, uh, Alliance Self-Directed Education. Um, she and I have done some um, videos. Um, we do some classes together sometimes too. And I think we have one out on screen time. Um, but so, you know, what do we do when people we love and we are in relationship with start exhibiting addictive behavior? Yeah. It's a real thing in all ages, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, usually the way, the healthy way to approach that is observation. I've noticed that Right. Um, and usually, and again, there's a real, honest, legitimate human need underlying it. So, um, as so, uh, Mackenzie Price, who's the um, director of Brightworks, right? This the school that I'm the executive director of the nonprofit that runs the school. Um, I really like the language she uses, and uh, which is to you got to diagnose the reason for the thing. Right. Okay. And, and I would actually recommend a conversation between school and parent and kid to facilitate mm -hmm. that. Like, hey, someone has a concern and a need. You have a valid need or a thing you want to do. Like, that's not like wrong, but we just want to understand it. It's, you know, like we want to make sure everybody's doing like, is it because, um, you know, first of all, is it OK if we talk about this? Yes. Like, do you, you know, do you want to like washing your hand? I'm not just going to wash their hand. Right. right. Um, like, you know, there's some, you know, we're also trying to figure out as a school, like, how do we set things up? Like, we want to make sure we're offering things that are of interest to you. Like, I'm, I'm concerned, like what, you know, I, I feel a little bad that I don't have things that you want to do more than watch YouTube. Like, mm -hmm. like, how, like, what could we do like that? Like, let's talk about that angle. Um, um, you know, another aspect could be, um, you know, from the need of a teacher, which I'll sometimes do like, Hey, like, I want to recognize that first of all, I know you're learning stuff. No human being is never not learning. Right. Right. Um, and so first of all, I'm just kind of curious, like, what do you love about this stuff? What are you doing? What are you learning? Like, help me understand this cool environment that I could be learning stuff from. Right. Um, and but we do have these other offerings we set up for people, but sometimes if they see other people like 
you know, on screens and playing video games or doing YouTube, it's like kind of distracting in a way. Does that make sense? Like they're like, oh, I want to go do that. And then it can be hard to make these offerings because people are so we wonder as a school, how could we set up spaces or ways of doing things where people get to do what they're drawn to, but it's not detracting from others. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of build a little design challenge around it there. So you're basically approaching it with, hey, I have some needs as a school, as a teacher. Your parent has some needs of wanting to feel like you're getting prepared for the, uh, the world in a way that will be good for you. Um, you have needs that clearly, you know, I want to trust your needs and, and your sense of what you need when. Like maybe you just don't feel like interacting with other people right now. And that's that's fine. Like, that's great for you to know that. Um, and then also a little bit of concern about addiction, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I have concerns about that for myself. Like I think we all do. Um, and so wondering about having some conversations there. And so just approaching it from that, like I do recommend conversations again, permissiveness would be, Hey, that's impacting me in a negative way, but I'm not going to talk to you about it. Right. And just kind of let you talk all over me like a doormat or just let you do whatever. It doesn't matter about me. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Like I I have needs in this space too. And again, I think it's bad modeling if we don't advocate for ourselves, but it's also bad modeling when we say my needs more important than yours. Right. So it's like balance. Have you, um, this sounds so familiar that it's like Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent work, nonviolent communication Mm -hmm. work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So my, uh, my background in terms of a lot of this stuff is um, I was trained 23 years ago as a restorative practices, restorative justice mediator between. Oh, okay. So, so restorative justice and restorative practices is very aligned with nonviolent communication, right. In the approach of how you do it. And then I discovered Marshall Rosenberg's work um, three or four years ago and was like, Oh, this is a bunch more great language that, and ways of thinking about things that work, you know. And so I, I would say the underlying philosophy of all of the work that I do, whether it's in corporate spaces and like high performance teams and all of that, or kindergarten or graduate school, it's all the same, which is that when we shift from a language of blame and judgment to a language of need and appreciation, we all get more of what we want, including a better education for the kids. Um, just in terms of the education, but then also they are now educated in how to speak in terms of need and appreciation and are therefore going to be more influential and successful in their lives with their partners and their, you know, whatever. Um, So it's a huge double dip. And for me, that is the curriculum. Anything else we do is almost totally secondary for me, as long as we're engaging in it in a way where we're practicing how to understand our own needs and the needs of others and how to negotiate them and support each other in, in achieving them um, and in advocating for ourselves, right. which is so critical, right? So critical. Yeah. Right. So definitely you're, you're, you're spot on in recognizing that. Um, yeah. I love it. We're doing right now our children's business fair. We, every year we do an entrepreneurship project and children are engaged in creating their own product and then selling it in the market and then reflecting on it. And it's just wonderful. Um, So much engagement and energy around that. Tell us about your entrepreneurial and enterprise program. So that was, um, so when I was at green school in Bali, that was my, um, 
I was one, I came on as one of two academic directors for the entire school. And that was sort of the angle or area within which my focus was. Um, and um, so that was at Green School in Bali. Now I'm executive director at Brightworks and, and that organization and Tinkering School in San Francisco. Um, we still do a lot of those same kinds of activities, um, which, you know, in some cases they would fit into what we think of as entrepreneurial in terms of like identifying a value you know, in the world and finding a way to fill the value, right? Which is, yeah. you know, wh where there's sort of like maybe money involved. Um, you know, I really think of entrepreneurial learning more broadly as just getting a sense of something we want to do or learn or mm -hmm. who we want to be and figuring out how to make it happen and sticking with it and adapting and pulling in resources that are available, convincing people to join our quest, right? And like, that's the, the mindset and the habits of an entrepreneur. I also get in trouble there because a lot of the hardcore old school, like alternative education people don't like that word for good reasons because yeah. oftentimes it's sort of too superficial and focused on, you know, money, et cetera. Um, but those exercises can be great. Um, you know, at Green School, we did a um, 50,000 rupiah challenge, which was everybody gets 50,000 rupiah, which is like, I don't know, a couple bucks, whatever. Um, but how do you, how could you turn that into like a business or, a, you know, um, Stanford does, um, who is it, Sin, uh, Denise Pope? Um, I think it was her, no, somebody at Stanford anyway did a like, how do you take like a stack of post-its and turn it into, you know, something of value and, um, and all of that. Um, and so that's a great exercise because it does have, you have to build empathy to understand what do other people want? How do they want it? How do you communicate to them that it is what they want? Um, you know, Dan Pink has a great book called To Sell as Human, right? That we're always selling. Wherever we are, we're trying to convince other people of a thing, whether it's don't leave dirty dishes in your bedroom or, you know, whatever, or, you know, um, and so I think those can be really great. I think there can be a tendency. So for instance, I see adults, you know, sort of still adulting in those spaces with entrepreneurial learning, right? Nope, that's wrong. Do it this way. Um, sure. and, um, and it can reinforce our kind of superficialness in terms of where value is. Um, and so I do recommend having conversations about those challenges as being about finding a way to create value in our communities, whether or not that comes with some kind of money changing hands. So that kids do recognize that value creation is a big bucket. And the part where money might change hands is a very potentially small part of that bucket that doesn't necessarily tap into the best parts of humans, <laughs> um, but can, but doesn't necessarily, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 So I had so many thoughts there. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> oftentimes we feel that, um, students will, you know, start out making, making something or doing something right. Writing something, building something, whatever. And then we feel it's our job to help them achieve, a, mm -hmm. you know, a state of excellence because, yeah. They're learning. I mean, that's what they're supposed to be doing. I mean, you know, that's what's going to help them build the skills that they need in order to create something excellent, which mm -hmm. I think is arguably a good thing to do. 
Um, but then we struggle with also not wanting to adult them, right? And so how do you, what are the tactics or strategies that you use to help students achieve excellent with, uh, excellence without forcing yourself into the process or making them do something sure. that, so that it ends up looking like what your idea of excellence is? Totally. You know, because there, you also don't want them to, to have work always that is like not uh, up to their level of ability. So mm -hmm. how do you deal with that? Yeah, so it's a really important question. Um, and, and not to not answer it here, but also just to point like uh, Bria and I talk about very specifically, um, I think we have one talk that's a video that's specifically on um, like what to do when our kids don't finish what they start. Right, which right. is always. You talk, I, talk to Blake about that, about like the yeah. piano lessons, you know. Yeah, exactly. When kids are just um, like phoning it in, they're just like, "Yeah, it's good enough," and you know, yeah, it's totally. like you know they can do better, but yeah. you don't know like how to get them to do better and maintain a great relationship with them. Yeah. Um, basically, if they're phoning it in, it means they don't care about what it is they're doing, and, and that's our fault, <laughs> really. <laughs> For, for or, or like, I mean, I start, so one thing also is we have to recognize students aren't the only ones that do that. Yeah, right. We all do the minimum needed to get the job done to, in something we're doing, right? right. Um, and usually something that we don't care about for its own sake. It's usually when we're doing it for someone else. If we're ever doing something for someone else, we will do the minimum that will satisfy them unless we're trying to impress them, in which case we will do more because that's something for me too, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so we need to recognize that, look, um, my kids in, my twin boys in first grade learned Pokemon cards to PhD level. Yeah. <laughs> no formal instruction. Like, I'm not worried that they can take anything they set their minds to to mastery. No problem, done. They learned to walk, they learned to talk, and they learned Pokemon at PhD level. Like they're good. Like they can do it. If they're right. not doing it, it's something about the it. It's not about them. Okay. Um, and, and this idea that, you know, they like, and I would say the reason we want them to do it is because then we'll feel better that when they get to college or their job, that they'll do a good job. Right? right. That's why we want them to, so that we can trust that they'll do a good enough job to succeed and have those things we want for them. The skills they're building, they already built. They know how to finish things when they want to and to do an excellent job. And they know what excellence looks like. Um, so I, I really would want us to turn that back on ourselves and say, well, how did we get to doing this thing in the first place? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because if they're continually starting things and doing like half-assed jobs on them, it's probably that we're setting up invitations that aren't very good. Mm. So that kid is not like half-assing watching YouTube videos. He's like nailing that, right? right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I don't know if that is a satisfactory answer or not for you, but... Um, well, there could also be right like some kind of internal like we talk about in an act and we talk about a lot that there's resistance victimization and distraction that those are like the three horsemen against you 
achieving what you, even what you want to achieve, right? So that's very fair, right? So that, that thing that I just described was kind of one of those scenarios maybe, mm -hmm. which, which kind of breaks down to, um, you know, I'm just not that into this. Like, I don't, I don't see the connection to like my, to my own goals in life. Sometimes when I don't finish something, it's because I'm scared of putting the thing out into the world and being judged on it. Right. Right. Sometimes when I don't finish something, um, it's because I think I don't deserve the, whatever that will get, right? Like there are all kinds of reasons why human beings don't move forward, even when it is something that part of them really does want to do well at and finish. Like exercise and, or eating, right? I mean, there's so many things that like, come on, it's oh hard. My gosh, right? Like I start that all the time and don't finish it, right? Or do as good as I could, like 30 minute run, ah, 20 minutes is good enough. I'm, I'm turning around, right? Like, so that's one of the things I also really recommend with kids is to be like, hey, you know what? I start a lot of stuff and don't finish it too. And it's, it's like, it's a thing. I wish I was better at it, mm -hmm. honestly. Like maybe I could just start two things instead of three and then finish them. Sometimes I just do too many things. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm curious. I've noticed that a lot of times you're starting things and then not like going farther with them. Mm -hmm. like and, what's going on and, there? and that's cool. Like, first of all, you know, is it okay that like I care and want to talk about it? Like, all right. Like, mm -hmm. I'm just curious. Also for me, like they also, kids are very interested in, wait, what's going on with you? Like you do a similar thing. Yeah. Let's talk about this thing we share. Um, can be a great entry point to that. Um, and also just for the school, like we're trying to figure out how to set things up right. And it really like your feedback on, right? So then like we're in like, okay, great. Let's talk about it. Um, and then you can have great conversations about, yeah, what are the ways we, we um, engage with things and why? Why do we sometimes back off? And then sometimes don't we come back to it later? Like even better at it than when we left it? That's a weird thing, right? But it's yeah. a thing. Um, and then just have real. So, I mean, my thing is, um, just keep it real. Right. And talk and, about and it. Be just like, like talk about it. And be and be vulnerable. Don't pretend mm -hmm. that you don't do it too. Um, this is like when humans don't start stuff or like don't do their best or don't finish. What's that about? Um, yeah. Cool. So um I wanted to make sure to oh, I wanted to circle back to screen time and chores. Tell oh. us more about that. <laughs> You had said that there you you were like doing screen time and chores as a curriculum or something. Yep. Some really cool idea as I think yeah. which I think is particularly interesting now. COVID uh has like forced oh, so yeah. many kids to have to get all their needs met, their social needs met and totally through the screens. And it's yeah. such a hard I mean, such a confusing yeah. time. Oh, totally. It's you know, the 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 health and addiction aspects are raised, the all kinds of stuff. Um I mean the what I think is the beauty of all of this is that the recipe is the same for every challenge, which is to be honest about why we care mm -hmm. that they're on screen so much or not doing chores, to not assume that our understanding of like that our need for them to not be on screen so much or you know whatever isn't is more valuable than why they're doing their thing. Um, to trust that their reasoning for what they do is valid at its core. Yeah. 
that my need is valid and their need is equally valid. And to enter into it with vulnerability and honesty mm-hmm. and, to, um, and to see if your relationship, hopefully your relationship's at a place where you can talk about it and say, hey, I'm, I just wanna let you know, I'm, I'm kind of concerned about how much time you spend on screen. And to be honest, I'm concerned about how much time I spend on screen but I'm a little more worried about it for you because your brain is still developing. And, you know, like, you know, sitting's the new smoking, the more you sit, the earlier you die. Like, like my like game is partly like more over (laughs) than yours, right? Like there's more room to do damage. Right. So just to be honest, like I'm, I'm worried about it for me too, but I wonder if we could talk a little bit about it because I, I do wonder if it's serving your goals also. If you're in good relationship with your kid, you're going to be able to have the conversation. If they're like, you know, screw you, why are you always ragging me? <laughs> then you need to kind of step back and go, okay, well, I've got a little work to do on our foundation because if they don't care that I have concerns, there's a bigger issue in our relationship. And is it okay? Because we've done in my house, like we have our whole kitchen is whiteboard. It's awesome. So, so we will just be like, okay, we're worried about this. Like, what are the things that are necessary, you know, that humans need? Okay, we need exercise. We need good nutrition. We need relationship. Like, we do all that. And then we're like, okay, how are you going to, like, what are you going to set your week up like? You know, and I'm mm-hmm. like, hey, why don't we run three days a week, me and you together? That's like together time and exercise. Okay, great. You know, so we'll make the plan. And then um, it's, but it is like, we're doing this before the screen time. Is that okay? Or is that too, like, I, I would ask them how that feels. I mean, like, I, we've feel? kind of, come to, like, we know how we are motivated. And my son's basically like, mom, if you don't do that, I won't do it. So yeah. yes, like, that's what I need. I need it as a reward. So like, if they say, sit for tat kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Look, if, if a person I'm in relationship says, you know what, I actually do want you to tell me what to do and make me do it because otherwise I'm not going to do it and I want to do it. <laughs> so, right, 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 yeah. right. So, so basically they are agreeing to you. I mean, it might be like, look, if I come out, if I come out of my bedroom tomorrow and reach for a Twinkie for breakfast, I want you to throw a glass of water in my face. <laughs> right. I just, cause otherwise I'm going to eat a Twinkie. And like, I mean, that's like, I mean, I think that's okay. Like we're, that's an accountability partnership, right? Like I know I need that. I need your help. Um, the one thing I would change in that setup is if it's always adults being like, Hey, what do you want? How can I help you with your goals? Let's come up with a schedule or whatever. That's, that's one direction. Uh huh. Right. Right. So my only comment there would be have a conversation about what we all want out of our right. lives and how we help each other get it. Like I might need them, like tell you what, how about I change the password on the internet and you don't get it until after we run. And they're like, yeah, that, that's good because otherwise I'm not gonna do it. You're like, cool, I'll do that for you. By the way, like here's something I keep trying to do and never do. Do you have any thoughts about how you could help me like get that done? Mm-hmm. So that's signaling equity, right? right. We wanna be, we're constantly signaling power if we can shift to constantly signaling signaling equity, 
we are going to have a much better time in our relationships with the people that we're in relationship with. So that's the only thing I would say. Like, yeah, it's okay to like have systems we agree to that give the other person the ability to say yes or no to the thing, but we have to agree to that. So let me throw this at you. Yeah. The other day, my daughter is in the car and she says, you know, my friend's mom, like, she treats me like, um, and I was like, well, like what? And she's like, you know, like, you know, like a mom, like she, like, she, and she kind of couldn't like put her finger on it. But then, and then she basically said that she treats her as an authoritarian. Like mm -hmm. she's like, she like bosses me. And she tells me like, Ingrid, you go home and take a shower before we go wherever, you know? And, and so she kind of was like, she kind of liked it. You know? <laughs> and I think it was kind of novel, but I think right. then I started questioning myself, like, did she feel like safer or more predictable mm -hmm. or something in an environment where it was very clear that she did not have the power? And so it yeah. just was something that I've been kind of riffing on in my own mind. So I just wanted to like throw that out there at you. Like, what is your, what do you think about that? That's a really interesting one, right? Like I remember a couple times in my life when I was younger, I was thinking like, I think I want to join the army. Like, I'm just like tired just of waking up every day ship for me, please. Yeah, and being like, what am I going to do today? Why am I? I just like, I don't want to be thinking about this anymore. I just want to think and not to be able to be like, no, I'm not going to get up today. Like seriously. Right. Yes. Right. I, I think we all have. Boss me. Yeah. Just tell me what to do, please. Um, and so we all like have super powerful people want like dominatrixes. You know what I mean? Because right. Yeah. Yeah. I need to like, yeah, I need to feel totally. It's like a, it's like a peaceful place. Right. right. So I think that's an interesting, how old is she? 12. 10. No, 10. She's, she's 10. Okay. My daughter's yeah, my 12. My son is 12. Also <laughs> born in 08. Um, and so, so that's old enough for me to be like, hey, sweetie, I was just thinking about that conversation like that you brought up and be like, I kind of know what you mean. Like in a way, like I want to not have to make some decisions sometimes. Like, is it time to take a shower? Is it not time to take a shower? Because that's like so much, especially these days. And I'm just curious about that. Like, did you kind of like that? And like, I wonder if an interesting game would be like, how about you design my day tomorrow? based on what you know of what I need to get done and all that. And then like schedule it out. And that's what I'm going to do. Like that actually sounds kind of awesome. Um, and would you like me to do that for you? That's Let's fine. see, do we really like it? I mean, I don't know. Like, and, and then, so that's probably what I would do is again, just be honest, vulnerable and co-creative. Yeah. Cool. And then we're good. She'll be like, mom, stop. <laughs> yeah, right. Are you, is this a lesson? Right. Are you trying to do like, something? Leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. You know how to do <laughs> So I, you know, I only get so many of those conversations where they will engage with me. Uh, right. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, interesting. yeah, let's talk about that. Like half the time I start that, they're like, ugh. <laughs> like seriously, dad, just what do you want me to do? <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> But sometimes they're awesome and they're yeah. like, yeah, actually that could be a fun thing. Um, mm -hmm. Let's do it. Um, you know, the, 
our chore and screen time setup is partly based on them just not wanting to talk to me about it if it's not going down, <laughs> right? Like, oh my God, a conversation with dad? No, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. A really empathic conversation. Yeah, right? No, tell me about your feelings. Oh no, dad, no, no, no. Um, <laughs> like with screen time, it kind of came down to, you know, hey, I am not police. I just can't police this anymore. I can't fight with you about it anymore. You know, can we just agree on roughly a number of hours a week that is somewhat below deadly? Right. <laughs> and, and just like, can we build some systems that make it so that's what happens without us having to talk about it at all? Like, is that fair? Is that reasonable? I'm sorry, am I being crazy? And they're like, oh, that sounds, you know, pretty reasonable, I guess. And yeah. I was like, how about I just turn the router off at like, whatever, 10, 10 30 at night or like whatever time, like it's gotten a little later as they've gotten older or whatever. Can we just do that? And they're like, no, oh, that's reasonable. And so no more really fighting about it. Now they do way more screen than like, I think is healthy for them probably yeah. in lots of ways. Um, but they do, they do their chores. And part of it too is like, look, like, can we also agree that it's fair that you like lift a finger as I call it in our house? Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Um, and, um, and so we just have kind of a baseline agreement around, um, and they also do stuff like my son's like, can you drive me to Yosemite for two days so I can take pictures? And I'm like, wow, yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, or up the coast or to the beach. He's like, they, they do cool stuff. Um, I mean, that I think is cool. And I actually think there's a huge value in video games and the social interaction they're getting, yeah. and, you know, all, how to figure out how to not get um, ripped off online when you're selling, uh, you know, skin for your avatar, right? Like they learned how to not get ripped off selling things yeah. online. I'm like that's a pretty good lesson. Totally. I don't know. Um, there's yeah. immense value. I worry about them sitting too much and the opportunity yeah. cost of some other things, but they get great grades you know they not that i really care about that but um they do all their work school work without any whining or anything about it or they don't either way i don't care but they do um and they let you know they they if i ask them to do a chore they will do it that's our agreement like look you don't seem to be able to do a schedule is it cool that if i just every day try to balance it out get people doing stuff in a fairish way and that you won't give me a bunch of crap Great, that's the deal. Okay, let's do it. Um, and so those are kind of our like negotiated agreements. Like, yes, it's fair that we all do stuff. Yeah. I don't mind asking you as long as you don't give me a bunch of crap about it. So does it work for you and me to ask you as long as I don't demand it right then? And mm -hmm. like, you know, is that cool? And it's all like, yeah, that sounds fair. Great, let's do that. That's great. That sounds very so really similar to my house. So I feel good. Thanks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't um, know that it's great, but it, it works for us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So two last two questions. Then okay. I'll let you go. So one is um, you imagine today that, or your kids are almost there, that you're standing on the brink of college and they're just going to give you the cash or pay your tuition. Mm -hmm. What would you do with that money? Um, well, since I already spent my kids' college education money traveling the world with them for two years, um, yeah. I think that kind of answers it. <laughs> but, 
Um, I mean, look, I, and the fact that I tried to talk them out of going to high school and to do, you know, I think there's some great books on like why to not go to college and how to do it better and how to spend that $20,000 a year, you know, interning and living in a country to learn the language by immersion and all that stuff. And, you know, the argument I get from adults sometimes is, well, not every kid's up, you know, can do that. And like, not every kid can do that because you train them out of it. Right. Every kid can, every human can choose you know, how they want to do things and enrich their life if we haven't trained them out of that ability. So I don't know what to tell you, but yeah, like your kid might not do anything at all and just spend the money on Twinkies. Um, and my kid might do that too. But, um, but you know, we, we have to recognize that there isn't this thing where some humans are able to self-direct and others aren't. Right. Uh, that's an artifact of, um, so anyway, no, I think there are some college experiences that, you know, if could, can be amazing and exactly what the person wants and needs and others that are just a way to get out of the house and, ha you know, party and be on, you know, have some autonomy, right? A lot of kids love college just because they have autonomy for the first time. Right. And it, it can uh, also be argued, it's like postponing growing up, right? It's like, if you don't really know what you're doing and you just go there and party and you're kind of lost and then you spend all right. this it's time like and you get out and you're like, uh, yeah, exactly. It's like a huge yeah. like country club, right? It's like a party. So, yeah. um, yeah, like well, I studied I anthropology, like you, anthropology and that's biology. So I would have that science oh, okay. degree too. So yeah, I yep. love that. There you go. <laughs> cool. <laughs> And my last question is, I always ask this one, I feel like metaphor is so helpful for people to understand, wrap their heads around new things. So I always ask everyone, what if you could offer a metaphor for traditional school versus your vision of school, what would that mm -hmm. metaphor be? As uh, someone that got their teaching credential in English literature, I should be able to come up with metaphors more quickly. I think I'm better at deciphering. Yeah, I'm better at deciphering other people's metaphors. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I guess maybe I'll start with this and hopefully it'll lead into something. Um, I don't call what most people call traditional education, traditional education. Okay. Because I think it's a radical departure from how human beings have traditionally become educated, right? So I call it conventional because I think that the kind of stuff we're talking about is actually more traditional. And I don't want to give this horrendous robot factory system we have the like benefit of being called traditional um so i was just going to see if that would spark anything for me um a metaphor boy i i don't know that i i do have a metaphor for the difference um i'm i'm actually I loved my English literature sort of training because it helped me be less just like straight linear and, and like superficial in my thinking about things. And it actually doesn't come easy for me. Um, but, you know, I think that, I guess it's more of a, a simile, um, which is that I do think that, you know, the, the kind of education we call traditional is was almost designed to turn human beings into robots and search engines and um and the and that there will not be jobs for those human beings i mean they're already fading and there won't be those jobs for human beings in 20 30 50 years they're just gone um and again with the jobs but yeah um 
And the kind of thing we're talking about is becoming um, not more human, but really honoring and living in and interacting in our humanity. And that is what will give us those lives we want for ourselves and our kids and our communities. Um, so yeah, it's definitely more of a simile, I guess, than a metaphor, but, um, but I think it's, um, it's just, it's human. And there's actually, um, Dan Pink has another book that I really like called A Whole New Mind, Why Right Brainers Will Rule the World, which is why all the skills that we kind of think of as like artistic and relational and all that are the ones that first of all, make everybody who's really successful today, really successful. Yeah. Um, and even more so in the future, that is the skill set that is going to make us um, able to sort of be productive and have a job. But it's also the thing that's going to make us happy and have longer and stronger relationships and be able to enjoy the lives that we live. However, you know, that's happening. So I'm going to, but now that's going to stick in my head forever. And I'm going to try to find a metaphor for it. It might take me a while, but I'll email you if I get it. <laughs> okay, please do. Someone else did that and she came back with um like a kit to make uh no paint by numbers versus a blank canvas with paint. So that was a really nice one. So okay. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm gonna have to go look up metaphor and simile and make sure that's actually a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> This has been so awesome. Yeah, really fun. So glad you reached out and that we got an opportunity to do this. Thanks for listening to the New Schools Podcast. Tell a friend. Previous episodes and show notes, including any books or websites our guests recommend, can be found at thenewschools.com. If you're a parent who is looking for a new school for your family, send us a message. We would love to help. We can answer questions, share the resources we have, and help you get in touch with people in your area who are on the same path, determined to provide their kids with the best education. It's wildly important work. Thank you for doing it. And we'll see you next time.